This week on Retronauts, our podcast goes to 11. I know, haha. <laughs> hey everybody, it's me, uh, Bob Mackey, for Retronauts Live, episode 46, and today's topic is working designs. It was going to be surprised, but if you listened to Games Damn It last week, and you should have, you would know our guest is, who is our guest today? Victor Ireland. That's right, and Victor Ireland, you are a former working designs uh, uh, founder, right? Yeah. Founder yep. and pretty much the the head of the company, and now you are with Gaijin Works. Yes. Okay, cool. And who else do we have today? Hi, this is Christian Nutt, uh, Features Director of Gama Sutra. Awesome. And we also have... Here from... Uh, was that from Metropolis or Gotham City? Uh, I think you were Batman, but I, I need to argue okay. with you about that. Uh, Jeremy Parrish. Yes, making a rare Retronauts appearance. The first time in months, Actually, probably. two episodes in a row because of the panel at PAX Oh, East. right, right, right. My God. So, yes, we are in the same place at lunch, which is Your strange. Your ears are intoxicated. Yes. So, uh, anyways, if you listened to last week's Games Damn It, and I said, as I said, you should have, you would know that um, Gaijin Works is currently working on a, an awesome Kickstarter for Class of Heroes 2, and you can find more about that by going to the link I'll provide in our blog post. But we talked about that last week. This week, we want to talk about Working Designs, who, uh, for about 20 years was a very enthusiast-based um, game publisher, and um, Vic is here to sort of discuss the history, and I've got many questions. I'm sure Jeremy and uh, Christian have their own questions, too. So let's get started, Vic. Um, can you tell us how you started Working Designs, where it came from, and um, how you entered the strange and wonderful world of game publishing in a very interesting era? Yeah, interesting way, too. Um, the name, I didn't choose the name. Mm. I started as an employee of Working Designs okay. because uh, I was hired to do programming for... Uh, a logging company. Um, I used to be. I used to sell computers. Let's go way back. I sold computers, but I also did programming on the side. And uh, one of the customers had a programmer for her that died uh, from a bad mix of uh, prescription medications, hmm. back pain, and something else. And he died suddenly. Well, their system hadn't been completely ported or, or written actually, and so but they were already using it for accounting and everything else. And so they were really in a bind, and, and uh, she said, hey, would you come and finish this system? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I migrated it from a TRS-80 to a PC. What Can year you tell us? was this? Yeah, I was going to say, what year was this? This was like 1986, maybe? Okay. 85. And uh, so I spent, you know, the next four years, maybe, porting the system that they were already using while they were using it from a TRS-80 to a uh, to Windows-based DOS system. Um, and then, you know, as I got done and I was basically down to refinements, uh, sort of concurrently with the last couple of years, I became a big game fan, uh, and I was doing a lot of importing and doing writing for, um, I just started doing some writing for, uh, video games magazine with Andy hmm. Eddie, hmm. and then, uh, also did some, uh, writing for Turbo Play, hmm. uh, about the Turbo Graphics specific stuff, because I was a big fan of the PC Engine, that was my, that was my target sort of platform. Um... And then I talked my then boss, which became partner, into funding the first two games with Taito, uh, Parasol Stars and Kadash. And, you know, just sort of naively saying, hey, this is what we need to do. These are great games. We need to get them out. And we need to support this platform. And, you know, sort of rah, rah, rah. And then I learned sort of the hard realities of gaming along the way. But, um, yeah, I just contacted Taito out of the blue. And started, you know, pestering them, and then we got the license, hmm. and then we moved forward and published the games. Awesome. So, How, so yeah. what, what, um, what kind of compelled you to get into import gaming in the first place? It seems like, you know, kind of in the what the late '80s, that was not a very, uh, I wouldn't say a very well-known niche of gaming. It's not like, uh, it's not like now where you can just order something online. No, no, no. It was totally back of magazine kind of, you know, mm -hmm. import thing. And um, yeah, that was just it. I just. I don't even remember what the first game I got was, but I just remember that I got, you know, whatever it was that, that sort of turned me on to gaming. And initially, it wasn't RPGs. It was just sort of wacky, you know, platformers or side-scrolling shooters or whatever. And again, I don't remember specifically what it was. I just know that that sort of got me into it. And then I found the PC Engine. And once I found the PC Engine, I found the CD-ROM, you, know, uh, you know, games. 
And then once I found the CD-ROM games, I found the RPGs, which had these great animations. And then being the crazy masochist that I am, I wanted to play those games that I couldn't understand to get the animations that I couldn't understand, but I could enjoy by watching them. And, uh, and it just sort of snowballed from there. You know, it started with uh, learning about this sort of secret society that I knew nothing about, this import gaming society, and then sort of graduating to the PC Engine, then to the CD games, and to the RPGs. And then once I found RPGs, I was like, oh, this, you know, I'm home. This is it. So I guess what Working Designs, well, I don't guess. I know what Working Designs is known best for, and that's for their uh, amazing localizations, especially for a time when people didn't really pay attention to that sort of thing. And eventually your uh, very uh, elaborate uh, collector's editions for uh, various games, most notably the, Lun- the Lunar series. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you feel about gaming localizations before you entered this sort of industry? And was that your mission statement sort of when you started? Like, I want these things to be better, or was that something that just came along down the road? Um, it came up, came pretty quickly. I mean, within a short period of time. It, well, you can see it in the first in the first Kadash. I mean, there's there's little um, sort of random stuff that people say in Kadash that wasn't in the arcade game. It wasn't in the, the original translation, and uh, that's sort of uh, trying to sort of improve upon the game. And I'm not sure even in Kadash if it improved it, but. Um, yeah, I mean, from the very first game, it was sort of a desire to make it enjoyable to a non-Japanese gamer, to make it as enjoyable for the U.S. audience as it was when the Japanese audience played it, or even more. Hmm. Uh, did you have any games that you played uh, prior to entering the industry that you had felt w- had a good localization, or did th- was that just a foreign concept until you started doing your own work, do you feel? Pretty foreign concept. I mean, if there was a good one, I can't think of one offhand, but if there was a good one, it was probably Nintendo. Nintendo's mm. A titles, you know, were pretty consistently good. Yeah, I was going to say, they did a good job with Dragon Warrior, yeah. the original uh, Dragon Quest, yeah. when they brought it over and gave it that kind of, uh, I'm not going to say Middle English, <laughs> what was it? Was uh, early, early Modern English. English. Early yeah, modern. It was more yeah. like Elizabethan yep. kind of feel. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, but... it definitely gave this, the game a personality that was otherwise lacking in, yeah. in console games. Yeah, I mean, you know, if there was one to point to, it was probably a Nintendo title because their A titles uh, have always had a certain level of quality. But that said, they also had a sort of a safe zone they kind of stayed within. And that was one of the things we always were pushing against, you know. Well, this is where we're at. What can we do better? This is where we're at. can we do different. We're always trying to push the localization and the voice acting and the packaging, trying to keep pushing it out to mm-hmm. make it better. Uh, in the earlier podcast we did, you mentioned um, the humor you like to put in your games, and at least for a console gamer, humor in games is a very foreign concept. PC games had a lot of, you know, quote-unquote funny titles, or titles designed expressly to make you laugh. Um, did you feel that this was something that you were trying to, like, uh, pioneer for console games? And uh, also, what sort of things were you inspired by? Like, where does your sense of humor come from in in making jokes? I'm sure, like, there's some Simpsons mixed in there, Um but I, I just wasn't sure of like where this stuff came from and if it was just a deliberate decision, like we need to make games funny. And I know a lot of this made people angry. I mean, over the years, but I mean, including me, yes. I complain. I used to fight. I used to fight with Vic on Usenet. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and actually, I just wrote an article that uh, yes. referenced the uh, Bill Clinton joke in uh, Lunar. Yeah, but um, well, that, that was something that uh, I always thought was really interesting was the fact that you would get in on Usenet and. You know, mix it up with people. That was something you didn't really see. In he also would respond to my emails when I was a teenager, which yeah. I think is worth Wait, pointing. Like, were my, we all on the working designs message board? I was. This is pre-message yeah. board. I'm okay. talking. We're yeah, talking, this is way back. Yeah. This is. Right. I'm talking. Bob, this Bob, is, were you on the message board? No, I wasn't on the message board. I, I was on Usenet too. But oh, were you okay. were you on the message board as well, Christian? The working no, designs I think message by board. The, I don't know if by, by, by the time I think I was already moving into becoming like a professional yeah. writer by okay. the time that was launching. So I, I, I mean, at that point, I was. You know, and Usenet was already kind of dying out for mm-hmm. a venue for that. By the time the Working Designs Message Board kind of was really coming into its own, yeah. But uh, I mean, to, I sort of we ended up stomping on the question, but uh, about humor. But I want to say the first joke I remember was from Cosmic Fantasy Three, and it was Calgon take me away. I'll never forget <laughs> when you walked up to the uh, when you walked up to like the spring, the healing the spring, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I laughed so much because at that point I didn't really know that, like, I didn't know you know Working Designs was run by Americans, so I didn't know you know that. You know what like I mean? Like, how could Japan have known about I didn't even thought about that. It just, I just didn't know where it came from. And it just was and actually... a super f- obscure reference now. Funnier, it is. Yeah, funnier for the fact... You'll have to find a YouTube of, like, the 1980s Calgon commercial to put in the blog, I guess, because I bet listeners don't even know it, but... Uh, Kids. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that I'll never forget that, I guess. Yeah, well, like I said, the humor thing, I mean, um, it, it was an organic thing. It wasn't really like, hey, we're going to be funny. It was just... Again, I wrote or edited everything we did, and I just naturally have that bent. You know, if you know me and talk to me and whatever, um, I 
am humorous. I find things funny. Hmm. Um, and so I'll try and find a funny spin or a pun or whatever. And uh, uh, that just sort of came out in the writing. I mean, it just, it just organically happened. And um, like the cow can take me away. I mean, you know, when we first started with the Kadash and then in Cosmic Fantasy 2, um, the way that was written is the way I talk or the way, I, I, the way speech comes in my head. And so, you know, like I said, um, actually it was on a different podcast, but uh, The Cow Can Take Me Away was a funny funny thing. Um, when you first met Nova, the boss, um, when you meet him, it pops up on the screen. It says, Nova's pissed. And for me, it's like, hey, somebody's pissed. They're mad, whatever. Mm. Didn't seem like a big deal. People mm. were like, oh, my God, he said pissed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a very different time. It yeah. was a big yeah. deal. Th- this is back when uh, I played Bionic Commando on NES and... Uh, Hitler calls you a damn fool. Yes. And to me, that was that was more shocking than the fact that his head exploded a minute later. I think right. we all knew which NES games to find swears in. It's like, if you wait to this part, you, you get to hell. You can sex in Golgo 13. Don't tell yeah. the babysitter. Yeah, no, so, you know, so so that was just a conversational idiom of speech for me, and it didn't seem like anything special, but when the game came out, people were just like, oh my God, Nova's pissed. He said pissed. Um, so it was kind of a big deal. But um, yeah, that's, that's where the humor and that's where the way people talk. And that's kind of why, I mean, if you've played Work and Design's game from the start, we found our way with you know what works and what doesn't with the humor as far as the pop culture humor. General humor, there's always some, unless the tone of the game doesn't dictate it. Like Ark the Lad's way more serious mm-hmm. than. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Ark the Lad, um, you know, personally from the games that I've played, mm. really struck a perfect balance between having some funny little comments mm. and at the same time, you know, being pretty straightforward with the yeah. story. Ark the Lad one and two both. Uh, yeah. I'd agree they had that. a really good balance. There, there's some really inappropriate stuff in Ark the Lad too, as well. I mean, they, well, yeah, uh, I remember Deke Beck. Well, though, not the uh, manual, not the deep, not the deep <laughs> manual thing, but but I mean, there was one um, when you have uh, the main bad guy. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, one of the dictator guy when he was talking, and they were talking about all the awful things he did, and uh, you know, he like raped women and stuff, and and somebody made a joke about his Johnny Appleseed deed, and there was a bad line, but it was so stinking funny. We put it in the game, hmm. you know, and, and it cracked me up for weeks just thinking about what people would see, think when they saw it. Um, and I was really honestly surprised that more people didn't say, oh, my God, did you see that? Because it was a really serious scene, and all of a sudden there's this little bit. And it was one of those sex, uh, situations where I just couldn't control myself. I was like, got to put this line in. It's just too good. Because it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I remember also, this is not the time thing. Uh, I remember because... I, I remember Albert Odyssey. I felt like it had too much humor. And I remember talking to you and you said that, yeah, but the original like raw translation, the game had a really boring story. So I was just trying to liven things up. You should have seen uh, version 1.0 of that script. That script was significantly edited back because um, I didn't write most of that. Um, Zach wrote... Zach Mastin. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote most of that. And he, the first draft he turned in was like literally like five times funnier or more, more inappropriate than the one that we actually released once I took a bunch of that out and rewrote a bunch of it because it was just too much. So, so it's kind of like, you know, when, um, when, uh, movie makers send to the MPA, like a super hard R knowing they're never going to get it, but knowing that <laughs> if they just cut a few things, then it'll release. That's why when we actually, when I actually finished cutting it back and editing it and making it less crazy, it was like, Oh, you know, this is okay now. But the people who'd never seen it, yeah. it was like, this is still way too much. <laughs> It's funny. It's because uh, I, I found working designs. I don't know if I'm you know, sort of interrupting with personal. Oh no, ideas. no, please. I, I remember I bought Parasol Stars, and that was, was sort of my introduction. And then because I had a Turbo Graphics, and then I bought the CD attachment. I was one of the. I don't. Do you actually? That's a good question. Do you know how many? Did they tell you, or do you remember? Did they ever tell you how many people had an actual Turbo Graphics CD when you were like doing less, less than twenty thousand? That's that would have been my guess. Yeah. My guess was in, in that range. That was my actual yeah. guess. So it was less than twenty. So um, you know, I remember like because Cosmic Fantasy two sold almost one to one. So I bet it we did. know by how many Cosmic Fantasy twos we sold that the number was just a little less than twenty thousand. I um I I remember I was calling EB like. And that was back, again, first of all, that was back when EB existed. But secondly, that was back when games didn't have release dates. And third, that was when, you know, like, 
they just show up and the right. people at the store didn't know anything. So I was calling like every week, like Cosmic Fantasy Two, and the, and you were running ads in EGM. So every month a new EGM would come. There would be another full page ad for Cosmic for about you know four months or something. Probably I want to guess. Right. And so I'd I'd see the ad every month. I'd call again, and and then finally they had it. And yeah, I rushed. I made my. I was young enough that I made my mom drive me to the mall. Right. There, there was Rod Serling references in there, too. I mean, there was a bunch of crazy stuff in that transla- uh, trans- localization. fantastic uh, <clears throat> memories of Cosmic Fantasy 2, despite the fact that it's a fairly, as the actual game goes, is not a particularly strong game. But no. it, it's, it's about the story. The story was awesome. The cutscenes were awesome. I would love to have a remake of actually the whole series mm-hmm. so people could see one and they could see three and they could finally see 4A and B. Yeah, I was always disappointed that you never... And, because you were so active on the Sega CD, I was hoping that you would do Cosmic Fantasy Stories, the compilation of one and two. Yeah, but, but it wasn't done very well. It was kind yeah. of a crappy port. That's yeah. why we didn't do it. Same thing like with uh, um, uh, Space Hunter, Cobra Legend, mm. uh, the Sega CD ones. The one that Hudson it. ended up doing? Yeah, that's why I didn't do it, because it was a crappy, it was a bad port. That's mm. why it's on Audio Atrocities. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you said that um, the Turbo CD was like less than 20,000 uh, units installed in the right. U.S. Um, it seems kind of... Uh, Probably more once the duo came Daring. out. What's that? Probably more when the duo came out. I think this is not not a lot more. <laughs> not a lot more. No. <laughs> Didn't add a much. It yeah. seems pretty daring to to uh, hit your wagon to these sort of uh, like kind of small install base niche platforms. Yeah, but you have to remember that back then I had just gotten into that, and mm-hmm. with CD it was infinitely cheaper than the cartridges we had just done because. I assume that was your hard lesson that you learned. Exactly. With, with yeah, that Parasol was the hard. Stars. That was the hard lesson we learned because we 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 did okay on uh, Kadash and we lost our shirt on Parasol Stars, but between the two we broke even. So it was okay. We learned a lesson. It didn't cost us anything except time, and now we know we're not going to do that again. <laughs> we're going to do CD from here on out because we can control the time frame. We can control the manufacturer. It costs us much less. Um, and you know the games that I wanted to do by that point were were all. CD based anyway, you know mm-hmm. it was all uh, you know Cosmic Fantasy Exile, Exile Two, um, Tension Uta. There was a whole bunch that we didn't do that I really wanted to do. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Now, there, like you know, especially for the, were there any PC Engine games, uh, Sega CD games that you? I mean, now that you know it's all water under the bridge and all the yeah. bodies are buried. It's, not, it's about, not like the Kickstarter where I can't talk about other ones we yeah, want to do. Yeah, yeah. Were there anything that you were like particularly excited about, or like were there even things that you got close on but just never happened? That's what I want to know. So many. Yeah. Do you want to ask a question? Or you want to oh, no, that's what I want to know. Like, I, I want to make us all sad. I want to know the games that you could have worked on but didn't, and actually that never came out here, if you could, if you could list yeah, any. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure, because um, they're foremost in my head still. Mm. Uh, Ghost Warrior Spriggan. Dying to oh, that. Spriggan, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, Ghost Warrior. Not the crappy one, not Mark II, but yeah, Ghost right, Warrior Spriggan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shibiba Man 3, basically Another Mega, one. Mega Man on CD. It was, Me- Shibiba Man 3 is a good game. Oh, my God, it's it's fantastic. It's 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 like, it's... It's like a hyper Mega Man. The levels are crazy. The bosses are awesome. It's it's a cooperative too. If I remember and it's on right. Japanese PSN. Also, another example of a game that's on. Ja- is it really? Yeah. Man Three. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have access, Shibiba Man Three, get it. It's a great game. Mm-hmm. Um, Shibiba Man Three. Um, uh, the anime series uh, Record of Lotus War. Mm-hmm. The the uh, strategy game. Uh, PC Engine or PC the, Engine. Okay, because yeah. the Mega CD one. Is the Mega well. CD one's crappy compared to the PC Engine one. The 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 uh, animation is. Uh, the opening animation is done fantastically, like the anime series. Um, the the gameplay is really cool. It's it's we were really close on that one. Um, didn't get that one out, unfortunately. Uh, Superman three. There was politics. Uh, we were involved with it, and we were ready to do it. And then um, TTI's licensing person decided they wanted to do it themselves for whatever reason. They did the second one as right, Shockman. As Shockman, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but they weren't going to do the third one. And uh, so we got involved, and then he got involved. And because he was involved, they dropped us because there was a bigger payoff coming from TTI. And then they didn't do it anyway. Right. So it killed, it killed the chances of the title coming out. Um, those are the ones that, that come off the top of my head. There's, I'm sure there's plenty more. But those are the big ones that I would have loved to have done because they're really I, cool games. I did want to ask you about the Goemon <laughs> game for the PS2 because for a long time that is... Um, I almost brought dolls today, but oh. I, did, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, for a long time, you still t- have like. Uh, do you have like a? I have cases like, of dolls. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, do you have like a warehouse full of punching puppets, going yeah. on dolls, Whoa. and uh, yeah. lots of maps? Hung I up. didn't save a lot, but I have a few cases of each. Yeah, I still have those. Did, mm. uh, did you bury the rest of them next to ET? 
<laughs> no, we didn't cover them with cement. They were just destroyed, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But um, like following Grow Lancer, uh, the last I really heard of you was about the Goemon game. Like you were championing championing that game's release here. Mm. Yeah, uh, can you explain? I mean, I just I'm just it seemed to be like a very old and very primitive PS2 game, and I just didn't understand why. Uh, the guy who brought me all these great RPGs was so interested in that, and maybe you can explain a little bit as to why you had that. You're sort of carrying that torch for Goemon, and uh, I'm not sure if you still are. Maybe you're still interested in Goemon. Yeah, I still would love to do it. Uh, I mean, it's done in English. Mm. You know, we'd have to finish the rest of the localization. I mean, the game runs in English. It's completely in English. It's just the last, say, half of it hasn't been polished up as far as the text goes. Um, but it's completely playable in English. Um, no, because I'm a fan of Goemon. I love Goemon. The Super Nintendo ones are fantastic. Um, they kind of lost their way in the DS and, and uh, uh, later in the PS1, early PS2 era. But the PS2 one, uh, we did a lot of work to it to fix up a lot of the problems that it had interface-wise. The, the choices they made with control were really screwed up, mm-hmm. and we fixed a lot of them. So it was actually much smoother and much more fun to play. And the cool thing about the, the PS2 Goemon is that it told the story of Goemon's beginning because when he starts, he doesn't have Goemon's traditional sort of clothes. He doesn't look like Goemon. And so it's sort of a, a Goemon zero, like a, a beginnings, Goemon beginnings. And that's why I wanted to get that one out because it sort of gives the history of how Goemon got started. Hmm. Um, it's a cool story. And uh, because it's a starting point, um, you don't meet uh, Ibisumaro till later. Uh, you don't meet Sasuke till like more than halfway through, uh, Yai, she's in the beginning, but she's like separate. It's, it's like, it's just a really cool story for a fan of Goemon mm. because it gives you all this backstory that you never have when you're playing the Super I'm just, uh, a little surprised Konami would, you know, let someone else have that because it seems like here and there, like every five years they decide we're going to bring Goemon to the States and they back off immediately when no one really cares. Mm. But, um, yeah, it just seemed interesting to me that, that, uh, that was a relationship game mm, i Again, see gotcha uh, please refer to last week's games damn it <laughs> yeah yeah listen to games damn it. uh it was a relationship game in that uh i've been trying to get the title for a long time that and actually guitar hero and mm. so um we there was a person at sega that was connected. you mean guitar freaks. oh guitar freaks guitar yeah freaks. i was gonna say sorry, yeah sorry, not hero guitar freaks sorry <laughs> <laughs> brain fart um person at sega that was connected to a person at konami that put us in touch and really cool guy, and uh, he got the meeting set up, and we did the deal. We hmm. made the deal to do Goemon, and got it done, and you know everything was was rosy. And then uh, we got a very unexpected denial from Sony. What year was this that the actual uh, that uh, you actually finished the the project? I'm just curious to know because the it game was be- it was before Groundlings came out because it, okay. it was done before Groundlings. I think it was around 2000 that the yeah, game came out. Probably 2002, maybe. Okay, I just wasn't sure how, how soon afterwards you guys had finished that because I mean now it looks very primitive, but I'm not sure how primitive. It no, looked. at the time, at the time, I mean, this was my argument with Sony at the time was uh, you guys approved Cat in the Hat, a licensed title, <laughs> THQ, and it looks abysmal. Yeah, Goemon looks ten times better, and yet we're being denied on the look of Goemon. I mean, it didn't make any sense to you. Me. Didn't have Mike Myers. Uh, Rising we didn't, star. We didn't have THQ's budget either. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So you know that was the thing. Is is you know yeah, it was not fantastic, but it was it was the draw distance actually for that game was pretty good for a PS2 title at that point. Hmm. You could see quite far that the fog that you know, sort of was pervasive in PS2 games of that type wasn't really that bad in, in the going on. You could see quite a quite a distance in the cities and stuff. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so I was pointing to other PS2 titles that had been released and approved. For, with basically worse graphics, and that didn't get anywhere. So hmm. it's still sitting, languishing in English, unpublished. Do you, wow. do you still have the rights to that, or is it kind of in a limbo now? Um, if we were able to get it approved for a digital release now that we have PS2 emulation, mm-hmm. um, that's the only issue would be quali- uh, QA, getting it through QA, because it never was published, so we'd have to have it QAable. And All right. So getting it through QA would be tough because I think the only place that's, do- place that's doing PS2 QA now is South America. Hmm. So we sent Goemon to South America to get approved, and then or <laughs> India, and I don't know if they have. I mean, they have QA f- for PS2. Plays. Yeah, they're still, they did some original PS2 games that just came out in India. Okay, well, I know that South America for sure. We could send Goemon to South America, get it approved, and have it come back and come on PSN. But there are ways to do it. We've looked at the ways. We're still looking at the ways. Um, and it's one of the titles we've talked about. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes that we're always talking about, John and I, yeah. about getting up to try to get them, you know, on digitally and get re-released. And that's one of them because you okay. know we've got the game. I would love to see because you know now there's Turbo Graphics games on PSN, and yeah. it would be great if there was some way to get some of the old Turbo Graphics games onto PSN, right? You know, like that you that you did. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I don't know like you know, Cosmic Fantasy, Telnet, Sunsoft. You know, like yeah. that's a 
it's the I can connect the dots in my head, but I'm sure you know the complexities of, of getting that stuff. To we might have happen. already talked about it. <laughs> we might have oh, already yeah, been and, involved uh, with that. Yeah, yeah. Unlike old PS1 games, you can actually play the Turbo Graphics games on Vita. Yeah. Wow. Go. Did not know that. Yeah, yeah it's one of, those, like one of those really dumb things. I'm sure they'll have PS1 games on Vita whenever they get the firmware updated. I'm sure. I'm hoping that when Maybe. they release it, they uh, because Vita has touchscreen. I'm hoping they build in um, uh, Lycan support because we could then do Element of Gearbolt. Oh, because oh some, my god, that would be so <laughs> awesome. Because the Vita has touchscreen, so the, the the barrier to doing gun games on PS1 on the PS3 is gone mm. because yeah. you have touchscreen. If they built touchscreen uh, light gun emulation, we could do Element of Gearbolt. This is kind Will of you release uh, some limited edition golden suitcases for our Vitas. <laughs> yes, golden Vitas, gold. That would be Vitas. hilarious if they build light gun support. I am saying right here, we will make limited edition assassin cases as a prize. That for is the that's awesome. We'll do that. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, was Lunar uh, the Silver Star complete? Was that your first collector's edition with built-in, packed-in goodies and everything? Was it the first one of those you did? Um, at that level, Silver Star, the PlayStation one. Yeah, the PlayStation yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that, probably with that level, but I mean, uh, Lunder had a pack-in map. Okay. Um, and Lunar uh, had foil stamping on the Sega CD. Yeah, the right. Sega CD ones, uh, they had like, the, the quality of the booklets you did was really nice. It was like yeah. this heavy yeah, card stock it, with well, embossing and foil stamping. It and gradually then there were the, improved. Yeah, it, yeah it there were the... Uh, we, were, multi, we were learning. The, the <laughs> variant yeah. disc images. and yeah, it started with... Uh, it started, I remember, because I bought every damn game. It started with, first <laughs> there was like regular packaging with a thin black and white manual. Then we got a nice cover on a thin black and white manual then we got a nice cover on a thick color manual then we got like a slip case then you know it just right. then we got a, like Vestile yeah. Exile 2 climbed yeah. up the yeah exactly yeah, it, it was a learning process and also like the initial PS or the initial, initial TurboGrafx games the reason they were black and white inside is we weren't able to publish those that we had to we had to give the materials to um, NEC and then TTI uh, later on that actually did the publication but as the stuff got better that was sort of a sign that we were doing it ourselves because we took over publication and matter of fact a lot of the rules at sony changed because of us Hmm. um pushing it saying look you guys can't do this as well as we can you don't care at the level we care um you just want to get the stuff out in a certain you know easy manner so we sort of took over and they were you know they changed the rules basically for us i remember talking because i remember talking to you about this is so nerdy i remember talking to you about this on Usenet, like because the Japanese PlayStation One games had full color disc labels and they were amazing, and then the the US ones didn't. They were like one, and this is back when things like this would really, you know, set my. They were just like silkscreen looking. Yeah, things. black. Yeah. Yeah. I was just I just played through Final Tactics, and I was looking at the super boring like flat black, you know, flat mm. black and silver disc. Like now, there's you know. Matter of fact, a little geeky side point: the uh, the disc label used in test runs for Sony to do full color disc labels. Was Dragon Force? Oh, they, nice. they asked us for the art so they could do test runs to to do it themselves, hmm. and we gave them the Dragon Force art. So the first tests that were done in color on PlayStation Disc were for a Saturn game. Wow. Well, I'm sure like a lot of those packings might have caused you problems along the along the road. What I wanted to know really is like what was the biggest pain in the ass, like pre either pre order bonus or pack in bonus that you made that made might have delayed the game, might have caused production problems that maybe the prototypes didn't work out right. I'm thinking the puppets might have been a pain in the butt, but there are those punching nuns I'm sure they're based on, but... No, the puppets weren't bad. Uh, the, the only thing that was weird about the puppets was um, when the first round that we did, we had uh, just a a sculptor do it, um, and he a Chinese sculptor do it. And the first... Uh, <laughs> the first galleon face we got back was so bad. <laughs> well, actually, take it back. First, we had... I should have brought that. We had we had a galleon doll, a stuffed doll that came back. Oh, wow. And there's only one of those that exists. I have it. And I was like, no, nah, it's not good enough. So we didn't run that. But then we had the molded head make. And the first molded head prototype was such an awful, awful prototype. And actually, I... Um, uh, oh. Kuboko-san, the, the guy that actually ended up helping us, the artist for Lunar, um, he wanted to see it. So we sent it to him through Game Arts. And he never gave it back. Oh, my God. So he's got the crappy galleon that I want. I mean, I wanted it just for historical, you know, like, this mm. is the... And I didn't take a picture of it or anything. I, don't, I just know in my head this awful, like, chubby-cheeked, like, Buddha <laughs> galleon. It was so it was so bad. Should be in a museum. Yeah. And so... Uh, but anyways, he... he uh, Kuboka set us up with um, Heavy Gauge in Japan, and they and he supervised. He offered to supervise. Oh, nice. So that's why the galleon looks so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Uh-oh. The bag's opening uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to say that uh, I went to an anime convention about two weeks after the uh, Eternal Blue Complete came out, and I swear to God, one out of every five people was wearing the Lucia pendant. So right. you pendant. caused a, a short fad. Yeah, there was there was a lot of those. Um, 
people that really dug that pendant. And that pendant took a lot of iterations to get right. I think we did it probably 10 times. It maybe. was so heavy. I remember also, I, we had an early one. I remember at gamers.com, we had an early one and stamped them on the back as like property of working designs, yeah. like early prototype or something. Right. Yeah. And we I did... think Shane Bettenhausen still has it. Does he? Yes. Yeah. The first one we got was um, we started with plastic prototypes and then to get sort of the shape right and then um and then we gradually you know went through the, the iterations till we got to the final one but yeah that's probably the best packing thing you know that i'm proudest of because it was a challenge to get that to come out looking like that and if you compare it to the japanese one do you ever see the japanese one Christian? No. Oh, i did not see that it's about the size of a quarter it's like oh. that big it's like a little dinky you know kind of not very impressive thing but that one we made to scale we made it look like it did in the game it has heft to it it's you can hurt somebody with that thing yeah if it was you wanted cool. to Okay, so heavy, anyway, so heavy gauge did the uh, did the molds for a galleon, and um, also for the Alex that we didn't release. But that's this, what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, right? I'm taking notes. This wanna... is this is the wax model for the unreleased Borgen that they made. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, is oh it cool gosh. if I take pictures of this for the? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, great. So these are the pieces for the the Borgen puppet that we never were able to release. We're going to yes. release Lunar oh my too. Gosh. If you're listening to this, please check out the blog. I will have photos of this. But right now we're just gawking. We should probably set There's these up and, and do an actual photo shoot after the <laughs> recording because this is. Oh, a, that'd be awesome. There's his 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 cuff. That's wow. the hat for it. Wow, that's crazy. How long have you had this since like since the second CD or since, since was, PS2? Yeah, PS2. PS1 rather. PS1 and that's rather. Behind his head. That's the thing that goes up. Okay. Yeah, the, the punching wow. puppet was for the. Uh, yeah, don't drop those. Was oh, for, yeah, yeah. Was for Eternal Blue or was the punching puppet for Eternal Blue or for a Silver Star Story? Silver Star Story. Okay, yeah. so this would have been for Eternal Blue for a PS1. <clears throat> that is crazy. I like yeah. that you didn't pick uh, like Lucia or someone. I have but... a Lucia. I, oh, do you? Okay. The, the deal was we were doing um, Galleon and Alex. We got Galleon out, and then we we're going to do Alex uh, with the PC version. Actually, if you put that if you put that in the cowl. Oh sure. You, oh, term. So the thing goes up behind his head. Uh, that's the way it's, you know, supposed to be photographed. You know, the, no, that Wait. goes behind. Yeah, he sits on that. Yeah. Wait. All right. And then, I got the, it. then the hat goes on his head. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> he seems to be missing a neck. Uh, I'll let someone else set this up. All right. Please continue. Sorry. And then he destroys your yeah, party actually, in yes. one shot. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to get a picture all three on top. But anyways, um, so we did uh, Alex and Bor Alex and uh, Galleon. And then the plan for Lunar 2 was to do Borgen and Lucia. I have Lucia as well, and I was going to bring that up. That. You know, the Borgen's visually immediately impressive. The, the Lucia looks like Alex, basically, when there's no painting or anything on right, it. Right, right, right. It doesn't look like anything special, so... Now, you did, you did mention a PC version. I had completely forgotten about that. Can you give more details? Is that yeah, for... Yeah, yeah, um, I, I want to know about this, because as I understand it, uh, there were problems with that. Yeah, it had, it had tons of bugs, and uh, they were never able to give us a stable version of it. So it, it wasn't exists. it developed by a Korean developer? Isn't that what happened? Like the port? Um, if it was, I don't know. It, our, our our contact always came through Game Arts on that. Mm -hmm. So um, and it was emulated too. It was not a straight up port. It was, uh, but it was based on the PS One Saturn, uh, like yeah, Silver Star Story. It was based on an amalgam of a whole bunch of different pieces of code, and that's I think that's why it was so buggy. They could never get it right. So um, yeah, so it didn't come out, and that that's why Borgen is still here in a um, in a finished form, but not produced form. Hmm. That is amazing. Uh, I have a few other questions. If, do you guys have any other questions? I can always think of questions. Before I steamroll along. Yeah, go uh, for it. It's just a conversation. Here comes our controversial question of the day that might have you storming out like Bill O'Reilly. Uh, how do you feel about uh, Silhouette Mirage today? That seems to be the most polarizing uh, work designs release as far as the changes that were made to the uh, English release. Probably worth setting up if people are not familiar that very often Vic would re... No, I don't want to put it all on you, but work designs would rebalance... <laughs> I was working and, design. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was me. Put it on me. Uh, uh, would rebalance the games uh, to uh, to change the difficulty or edit or change actual fundamental aspects of the gameplay from the Japanese versions at some times. So... Salt Mirage, controversial changes. Very um, controversial. Extensive changes. Well, I don't know about extensive, but yeah, it did change the gameplay. Um, the reason for it was that at that time, um, retail was uh, trying out controversial changes as well, where uh, EB had a policy where you could bring a game back for any reason and get a full refund. 
And so short games, you know, shooters you could finish quickly and people didn't have any incentive to play again to get a better score. They didn't care. Uh, they basically were getting free rentals and mm-hmm. the publishers were paying for it. So um, still at Mirage, you could finish in one sitting the way it was originally made. And so we had to find a way to make it more challenging. And that's why we made it so, you, you know, one side charges, one side uh, depletes the energy meters. And, uh, and it changed the game substantially, made it a lot harder. Definitely. Um, and that was, uh, that was why the change was made. I mean, honestly, I think it's okay. And actually, the U.S. version uh, animations are way better than the Japanese version because the Japanese version, they were using the Cinepak compressed video for the animations. So if you look at the animations of the Japanese version, they have Cinepak artifacts. When I was seeing artifact, I was like, wait a minute, that's Cinepak. I could tell by looking at it. Mm. And they went and looked like, oh, yeah, right. We gave you Cinepak files. And so the U.S. version has better-looking video than the Japanese version for that reason, because when they made the Japanese version, uh, they used pre-compressed Cinepak Saturn. Oh, wow. Video. Okay. So it, the video is crap compared to the U.S. version. But the gameplay is different. Um, some people don't like it. Some people didn't notice. But the reason we did it was uh, so that we wouldn't be getting a whole bunch of free rentals back from EB. Hmm. And you know, even at this point, I'm, I'm still fine with the U.S. version of the game. But I understand okay. why some people don't don't like that. Has that affected so, your sort of um, mentality for the future as to how many changes you should make? No, not really. I mean, you know, if, if a game needs something to make it more fun, I mean, that one was a, a strange case. And again, by the time we finished that and the game came out, that policy ended shortly thereafter. Mm. So it was a very specific short period of time. I have to um, admit, I remember doing that. You had a, you had seven days. You and you got, free, it, you, you got a free return, rental. I took advantage return, of it, yeah. You could return an open game within yeah. seven days. Yeah, well, imagine being the publisher and you're getting back 30,000 games because people have, you've had 30,000 free rentals or whatever. I mean, yeah. It was a crazy situation. So uh, we were reacting to that. But it ended shortly after that. And uh, so that was a very specific case for a specific reason. Um, but I don't think we would make that level of change okay. to, to another game in the future. Because, again, we were reacting to a, a market... Uh, market change that could have made us <laughs> bankrupt. Right. Did that game uh, launch at a lower price point, or maybe I just bought it at a lower price point? Because, uh, no. Okay. I think you bought it at a lower price, because I think well, it might have been, maybe it was 39 uh, Weren't the Spaz games 39 Yeah, it might have been 39 because okay. it was a Spaz game. You're right. I think you're right. I think it was a $39 game. Okay. Got it. I seem to remember the, the Spaz games being thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah. Sorry, I think I interrupted you, Jeremy. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. No Spaz, Spaz still lives a little bit. Um, my son's doing a Xbox Live game for their contest this year, and uh, one of the badges, the achievement badges, has a Spaz head in it. So that, <laughs> oh wow! That, that was his homage to that's, that's hilarious. Company. One thing. A, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Now I was going to ask. Like, this is like a big question to me, and it's probably impossible to, to narrow it down. But like, we're talking about Element of Gearbolt kind of put this in my mind, which is uh, like, what is your f- favorite game? If you can't talk about your favorite game, like, you know, what are the ones that really meant the most to you? I mean, I'm assuming Lunar One probably is one of the- of working designs games. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Pr- probably Lunar One on both Sega CD and the. PlayStation for different reasons. The Lunar One was because it was really a game changer for the company. We went from Lunar One, uh, from what, what before to the Sega CD and published Lunar One, and really that really sort of changed us dramatically from what we were before. I mean, the Sega CD had a much bigger install base than the uh, than the Turbo Graphics as well. That was your not not that much. It was like triple. Yeah, but that's <laughs> still was, that's true. <laughs> it was still pretty bad. But yeah. but for us, it was like wow, we're selling three times as much. You know, yeah. we were still selling like sixty thousand, but it was amazing. Yeah. Um. You know, and then the stair step into the PlayStation where we sold uh Lunar One. The sales were cool, but the doing the um, Winds Nocturne, the the Lunar, the uh, boat song, that whole experience was fantastic. Um, doing the song, seeing it come together, and having it it finish out, and then hearing back from the Japanese side. The development staff liked our version better. Huh. It's like, pfft, did you ever see that ultimate like, compliment? That the English version of the Lunar song became a Japanese like video meme a couple years ago. Yeah, with little uh, with the uh, Doraemon, uh, not Doraemon, the, the little the little cat from uh, the uh, PlayStation Toro. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, I, th- <laughs> I think it's who was singing it. Yes, I saw that. It became yeah, it became uh, it, it, somehow the English version of the boat song became a. I call it the boat song. I mean, that's what we call it. That everyone calls it. <laughs> everyone calls it the boat yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. Well, because see, Winds Nocturne doesn't really fit the English translation oh. version. Of it. It's better as Luna's boat song in mm. English. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Winds Nocturne was the original title. But yeah, it was Luna's boat song. But that whole process of recording that, seeing that come together, and then getting the compliment back from Japan, which you know maybe they were stroking us. I don't know. But it was it was like wow. This, you know, they never said it before or after, but mm-hmm. they were really impressed with that. Um, they liked the tone of the voice and how it turned out, and, and sort of the extras we put into it, like. Um, at the very end, when she looks up at the moon, I had her take a breath, you know, a gasp, sort of a breath, 
which sort of signified the hopefulness of it. And mm-hmm. it, I think it really came across in the video. And mm-hmm. just it just that whole process was fantastic. So Lunar One, Sega CD, and Lunar One PlayStation were probably the favorites. But um, Elevated Gearbowl is definitely up there because that experience was also really cool. That game is amazingly beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. The music, the OST, the music is fantastic. The story is really cool. Um, Alpha System does crazy stuff. And the amount of backstory they gave us on that game when we were making it, I was like, I was begging the guy, please make an RPG with this. You have so much backstory you created that nobody's going to ever know about. And he was like, well, we have to make all this because it informs how the game plays. And I was like, yes, but it's amazing. You need to have a game of that. And I never could convince him to do it. But Well, you should be happy to know that I just went to see Epic Mickey 2 about a month ago, and Warren Spector was claiming that it was the first musical comedy um, game, video game. And I, I think three people at the table shouted out, what about Lunar? What about uh, this other game, Rhapsody? So people do really remember Lunar, especially yeah. the um, the songs. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, say, recording them and, and that whole process was really cool. Hmm. I have something that you might not know, and <laughs> I won't. I won't be surprised if you don't know it. Um, apparently, Sega CD, uh, the Popful Mail game, was originally supposed to uh, be a Sonic the Hedgehog game. Yeah. Do you were you part of any of that, or did you receive it uh, afterwards when that des- decision was canceled or changed? We were right at the end of that, and that goes back to that uh, uh, relationship thing with Vi. Right. Uh, that was the first game we were offered um, by by Mr. Shigeta from um, from Sega. Uh, and he showed it to us and... Showed you Vi or showed you Puffle Mail? Puffle Mail. Yeah, we were already well into Vi. And, okay. And this is where the relationship was really starting to bud. He really liked me and I really liked him. Uh, you know, I didn't know that he was embezzling money or some terrible thing. He got kicked out of Sega later. Oh, jeez. Nobody would ever talk to me about what really happened, but I was like, you know, please, what happened to this guy? He was so awesome. And they are like, oh, it was terrible. We can't talk about it. Mm. Um, but he was a really cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't even, so, yeah. Okay. I don't know really what happened. I just know that he disappeared in a scandal. Um, uh, but he was a great guy. He understood what we were doing. He knew what we were doing was good for Sega. So uh, he would hand this stuff off and give me opportunities to, to do these ty- types of games. But anyway, so he was showing um, Potful Mail, and uh, he was saying that um, you know, we originally wanted to get this to Sega. Sega didn't want it. Sega of America didn't want it unless they could make it Sister Sonic. And they've decided that, I don't know if it was Sega of Japan or Sega of the U.S., but they, or Sega of America, they decided they didn't want to do it as Sister Sonic. So that, that was when it opened up and we had the opportunity. But we, we were offered it within a month of that happening, okay. of not happening. And uh, and I'm so glad that it wasn't, because as Potful Mail, I mean, that's that's another great game, actually, talking about favorite games. That game has great uh, vignettes of the voice actors, yeah. and super funny stuff that I still crack that, me up. That game really fit your tone. I think oh, that was like God. one of the things where you found the right game, like for your kind of Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the Nutscracker character, you know, mm-hmm. where we're doing references to Total Recall, you know, get ready for the big surprise, and his head blows up, and just... <laughs> cool stuff but yeah that game really worked well on all levels and uh, so I'm, I'm really glad that it wasn't a sister sonic yeah. game. even if we hadn't done it i, I would have preferred to see it the way it was released i can't imagine how much weirder sonic fans would be if sister sonic existed <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole new uh, realm that let, was left unexplored paradigm of weirdness i actually yeah. it might interest you I, I, t- I spoke to the president of falcom at tgs and i asked him you know, like sort of just at the end of the conversation, is there ever going to be another Popful Mail game? And he said that like they have one guy at Falcom who comes to him like every <laughs> year or something with like a, a design document for a new Popful Mail and uh-huh. like says, "Please, can we make this?" And it doesn't happen. But so I would the, love the flame of Popful Mail still exists. Surely they could use the like the Ease Oath at Valgana or E Seven yeah. engine yeah. to make a game like the, that. That would be a perfect game to do like a PSN game or something. I think Popful Mail. Uh, yeah. I, I would love mm-hmm. to see another Popful Mail. The, the whole would, world is great. I would love to see that get the original uh, like get put into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even a remake, just you know, port, a port. It, playable. Yeah, a port. That'd be right. great. Yeah, the no, PSN version or something. I, I am confused about the development of that because I do associate it with a, it being a Falcom game, but it sounds like it was developed. That, uh, that version was I, developed internally by Sega. No, or? it was a joint venture. They had a joint venture called Sega uh, Falcom, okay. which is okay. Sega and Falcom together. They thought a long time about the name. 
So, <laughs> uh, sounds like it. Sega Falcom, and then they, that was the only game they produced, and they split apart again. Oh, weird. So kind of how uh, like Sakura Wars is Sega mm. and Red. Red, exactly. It was supposed mm. to be a big deal. I actually remember this. Like, And the funny thing is, there's, so there's there's Falcom. I mean, there's Puffle Mail for PC Engine. There's Puffle Mail for, for Super Famicom. And there's Puffle Mail mm. for Sega CD. And they're three entirely different mm-hmm. games. And I guess there's probably a PC version from it back in the day as well. The, yeah, I remember buying the Super Famicom game thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this is going to be just like a, a nicer-looking version of the Sega CD game. And it was no, it's different. PC-98 not nearly good. as good. Yeah. yeah, it's not as good. None of the other versions. The, the Sega CD one is the definitive hot film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great game. Yeah, and you know, and that also, actually, that's also where our outtakes thing with working designs really kind of started to take off mm. because before that, we put an outtake maybe in the credits, you know, like just a single line at the end of the credits or something. Um, but uh, Poffle Mail is the first one where we actually started doing multiple take, you know, outtakes that we had saved. Um, and really, and we kind of, you know, as we progressed, we got crazier and crazier and adding more and more. I mean, to, you know, like Lunar, there's like a half an hour, 45 minutes yeah. outtakes. Um, and there's Lords of Lunar too. Yeah, yeah, and Lords of Lunar exactly. Um, but that the Puff Mail is sort of the genesis of of lots of outtakes for fans because that's again back to the kind of stuff that I wanted to see as a fan with from other companies. Nobody really took up on that, but I would love to be when I finish games to get the credits and get a bunch of outtakes because uh, I I love outtakes. I love I love to hear the stuff that went wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I I I know you're on record for disliking um, the GBA Lunar. Uh, apparently, you had the you had first refusal rights to uh, you know accept right. the game, and but you chose to not accept it. Yeah. Um, have you played the PSP Lunar? And can you comment on what you think of it? Not just the localization, but how the actual game was um, translated, sort of from. Or what you mean the ported, the yeah. remake? Yeah, right? the remake, the remake. Yeah, yeah. The ambiguous wording there. What's that? I said ambiguous wording. Oh, there. sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> The music's good. The music is good. good. Yeah, the music's good. And the whole scenario at the beginning is unnecessary, I think. It, mm. it really sort of takes away from the mystique of the four heroes. Um, but I really can't say much more than that because, honestly, when we sold most of the rights back to Game Arts, I had to sign a document that said I wouldn't, I wouldn't, dog, okay. I wouldn't dog in any future versions of Lunar. <laughs> so you've only said good things. So let's ask you what you really think about Lunar Dragon Song because oh, you can no. always, and you can only say nice things. <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, whoa. Um, I set off the lunar alarm. Apparently, they found they found us. <laughs> Shit. Is that a fire? There's That's a fire. Game arch stormtroopers coming through the roof. We'll be right back. What I also wanted to know is how you feel about the state of localization today outside of what you are doing. And do you feel that you sort of uh, pioneered the idea of having a good localization? Uh, yeah, we definitely affected the course. I mean, for sure. Because, I mean, if you look at what was available by third parties when we started, it was a wasteland. There was nothing. In your time in the industry at that point, like in the 90s and late 80s, um, were you being approached by other developers, other publishers saying, we wish we could have been doing what you're doing, we just don't have the resources, or wow, that was funny, wow, that was interesting? Did they did they sense that you were doing something different or that you were doing something that they wanted to do themselves? Yeah, we totally got the wow, that was funny, that was interesting. They didn't necessarily ask us or say, hey, we wish we could do what you're doing, but they definitely saw what we were doing and you saw pretty quickly that there was, you know, an effect on other localizations. I mean, it definitely started. And with packaging, especially, like, um, on, uh, on Lunar 1, uh, you know, we did all the packaging. We did the printing ourselves with the manual and all that stuff. And at the uh, publisher's conference, I'm still kind of out of breath from walking up the stairs. <laughs> no, no, it was a, that was an emergency. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, you make me talk, and I've walked up four flights of stairs. Um, so uh, at the publisher's conference... Um, they were talking about, you know, things would do better. And this is the conference that Sony had uh, annually where all the publishers got together and talked about packaging and disc printing and all, so all the mechanics of making games and publishing them. And they were asking for questions at the end, and the hands kept going up asking for who they talked to to get the, the manual like Lunar had. And they kept having to say, we didn't do that. Working Designs did that themselves. <laughs> and the message just wasn't getting through, but it's hilarious because they talk about it, and all these hands would go up. And it's like, didn't you hear earlier when they said that they couldn't do that? Hmm. But it was kind of a cool um, sort of verification of what we were doing. Cool. 
Uh, I want to move on to what I want to call the lightning round for this uh, podcast. Do uh, Christian or Jeremy, do you have any uh, anything else you wanted to ask Vic, before we uh, sort of wrap things up here? I'm sure there are some burning questions, some controversies, some hot button issues. Mm, I mean, I remember, oh, I don't know, there's... We did. We sort of alluded to it. We didn't talk about the fact that uh, sometimes the games got delayed a lot. Like, uh, but I don't know if it's like you know. We all know why. It just took a long time to do them. I think. Or unforeseen problem. Like Rare Earth was a great one. That yeah, Rare Earth was the last Saturn game, wasn't it? Yeah, not on purpose, it but it became the last. last Saturn. Can, yeah. can you tell the story behind that? I mean, wasn't wasn't Rare Earth uh, announced for a U.S. release before the Saturn launched? Not launched, but no, it was early on, but okay. it didn't come out till it was dead. Right. But yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I followed yeah. it and picked it up and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, I played it and beat it in Japanese after it was announced for U.S. before it came out. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe the goal should be to release the last game on every system in existence. That'd be like a new Guinness record. It's like, yeah, hey, if you can get Goemon out for PS2. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yes, we can be the last. Get Goemon out. Yeah, it'd be yeah, the last. That'd be great. That'd be two platforms. We'll just keep working on it. But uh, no, with Rare Earth, it was an that was an issue of uh, it was just a nightmare because uh, the code was missing, hard disks had crashed, sections of the source code were gone, libraries were missing, uh, art was missing, and then we got through all the reconstructive issues and got it functional and ready to come out. And then like six months of fighting at the end had to happen because they were trying to sell the anime series. Oh right. And they had these really awful new names, mm-hmm. horrible names for the <laughs> characters. And we just finished recording everything with Hikaru, Umi, and Fu. And uh, <clears throat> I don't remember, I think Hikaru was Blaze, and Umi was um, an enemy, like a sea anemone. Oh, but the problem was, God. whenever you're talking to her, it would be like, an enemy. Yeah. Like, an enemy. <laughs> and it didn't work in a game. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. Well, it, it keeps sounding like you're talking about an enemy. Right. Um, and we were just like, look, we can't do this. The names are stupid. Forget it. And uh, we fought it for about six months, um, and they finally gave up, and then that never even came out, that version of it. Mm. And I found out later that the dub that I have of that first episode is apparently rare. I wow. didn't know that. But, you know, anybody trying to find it, forget it. It's crap. <laughs> it could be enjoyable crap, though, but it's, you can keep it in the archives. I know people crap. who specifically track down bad anime dubs, so yeah. I know they would want it. It's probably uh, it. just as rare as the live-action Sailor Moon. Yes. Has anyone ever unleashed that it's upon on the YouTube, world? No. I've only seen the uh, the intro or whatever. Is that the only footage that, that, of it? it? That was like a, a sales. Oh, okay. Uh, they like never a sales video for like you know like one of those like t- like TV channel yeah, like, trade shows. Right. I don't know if I don't honestly know if they ever actually produced it. But okay. It's a, if you haven't, if, if anyone who's listening, just as an aside, if if you like dislike hate love Sailor Moon, just Google uh, YouTube. Uh, live action Sailor Moon, it's amazing. So, um, kind of on a related question, you said you had to do a lot of reconstructive work on uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Is there a point at which it becomes too much? Like the the original Japanese code and material is just in such disarray that you would have to say, "Forget it," and just throw up your hands in despair. It's, Has that ever happened? No, it's never happened. It's possible it could happen, but I can't imagine getting a project in worse shape than Ray Earth and still having it be able to be reconstructed. I mean, it was such bad shape. We were taking bits out of the executable in retail releases of Rare Earth. We were finding signatures for pieces out of the library and pulling the binary snippets out of the code to rebuild libraries that were missing from our end. I mean, it was crazy. I, I assume uh, the process of development is a bit smoother and people preserve their code and, and bring it over uh, more carefully. Well, there's source days. control now. There, there wasn't then. You know, there's all kinds of things that, you know, the cloud. I mean, I don't know how... Japan is not. Yeah, not I mean, that Japan deal. is not. No, no. no. I mean, trust I mean, Japan me. is I guess still I was giving problems. them too much credit. No, you know, Japan, I mean, I'm talking about the kind of. Also, you're talking about the developers you're dealing with, like acquire or whatever. Potentially, they're not like. These are not. It's. I'm sure Capcom, like Lost Planet Two, is well backed up or something or whatever. Resident Evil Six, but like not so much probably. There's still a uh, code control is a foreign code control is a to do list item that a lot of companies never get around to. Seriously, even in this day and age, it's amazing how much stuff is partially or completely missing um, for games, even current games, you know, in the last three, three to five years. Even. I would say, I know, I would just say, this is totally, I won't say who, but I have a friend who worked with a Japanese development studio, like, directly on a game, and they did not, like, for PSP and DS, and they did not have implemented any of this stuff still, like, contemporary. Wow. Like, he was there at their studio, like, dealing with them, and they still had not implemented, like, contemporary practices at all and that's the norm that's not an exception it, there's even large companies there's so many that just don't have any sort of a concerted effort to save snapshots of the projects when they're done because it's kind of like when they're finished that's it they don't think about the future 
you know, or porting or whatever. Despite well, the need, I mean, the the just kind of prevalence of we have to, you know, publish globally. Like, is that still not kind it, of cut on? I don't think it's really. It, again, it, it's it's a to do list item. It, it, it's always to be done, but it just never gets done because you know they're overworked, underpaid, mm-hmm. and stressed, and whatever. True. And it it just never gets done. Or if it gets done, it's not done in a complete manner. So, I mean, there's been code where we've got that was built in a distributed environment, and we got the files that were on the server, and the server didn't always have all the most recent files that were distributed out to the workstations. So that was another case where we had to build, build mm-hmm. stuff back in. So but it's weird. Ray, Ray, Ray Earth was the trickiest one you encountered. Ray Earth was by far a million times the absolute worst. I can't imagine being worse than that and still being <laughs> publishable. Uh, was it? I mean, I guess it wasn't really worth it. But did did the sales uh, sort of reward your efforts in any way no. at that point in the Saturn's life? Yeah. No, but our footnote at Guinness World Records did. So. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Is that is that a joke or this that's, actually that's happened? That's a joke. Okay, I was gonna say like worst like longest development time or longest localization last, time. Last last game for that platform. Okay. Didn't you just yeah, decide? I actually I actually oh. know the person or one of the people who uh, has contributed to Guinness Book of World Records and. Uh, the, the gaming of edition, it's, it's definitely they, just, they yeah. just make up BS. The last like, one. We, we have 10 pages to fill. We got to fill them. There you go. Last game. And I'll try and get one for the PS2 then. We can be the, the publisher with the most last there titles. You go. There you go. So I don't know if, if this is still a sore subject, but would you mind talking about the sort of end of working designs? Like, how did that come about? And what were the circumstances that led to you, uh, I guess, the company folding? I'm- um, basically, it amounted to we had a good relationship with. Uh, our account manager at Sony, and we had a good relationship actually with all of our account managers for um, NEC, Turbo Graphics, for Sega CD, all the whole time. And uh, we basically, it's an issue of hindsight's twenty twenty. We should have gotten approval, concrete approval for the titles before we did the licensing. But the way we had always worked till then is we did the titles, did the licenses, and as long as they met a certain standard of quality, the approval was pretty much guaranteed. And because our account manager had left at Sony uh, and new management came in hmm. um, that really weren't gamers and didn't play games and didn't have anything to judge a game on other than the graphics, um, those rules went out the window. Hmm. So they would look at our games and they'd be like, this, this is totally not PlayStation 2 level graphics. And it's like, no, but it's, it's Growlins. I mean, we're talking Growlins. This is a fantastic game. The battle system was innovative. It's, it's a great game. And uh, that didn't matter. But it eventually, eventually came out, though. Yeah, at a loss to us, because the only way, after fighting with them, well, okay, back up. So we were denied right for E3, and uh, that was terrible, because we had all this promotional stuff printed, right. and banners, and you know, we were ready to show it. And we had to black out the PlayStation 2 on all of them, so we couldn't put a platform on it. It was just terrible. Oh, wow. It was a terrible E3. Um, and uh, then we had to fight for the next 18 months or so to try to match sort of nebulous demands to make it look better. But the kind of game it was, it would never look better than a certain kind of look. You know? Right, right. And so we tried high-res sprites, and they took up too much memory, and they slowed it down, and we did all of those work. And the compromise was eventually, okay, if you put both the games together, you can release it. Well, the problem with that is that the, the royalty situation was negotiated as two separate titles. So we were now going to do half the sales with twice the cost to the IP holder. Mm. So instantly it became a money loser. But at that point it was, how can we lose as little money as possible rather than how can we lose everything? Right. Um, and then uh, we fought with Goemon some more and uh, we never got that one out. Was um, Ark the Lad <laughs> successful for you? Because it seemed to come out just at the height of sort of PS2 mania where that, that sort of game, the way it looked, would mm-hmm. not be sort of on par with what everyone was used to, what everyone was getting excited about. Was that successful for you at all? I, I was never really sure. It was a lesser title. I mean, I think we, I think we sold 60 or 70,000 copies, which is still okay. Yeah. But, you know, we were used to selling 100, 125, 150,000 titles. So it was less than we expected. But I found out later that... Sony of Japan expected us to sell like 30,000. So mm. they were thrilled. They were like, wow, these guys blew the doors off. But we were like, all that work, you know, getting all those titles together in one box, and we only sold, you know, 60 or 70,000. It was a lot of work. But I don't regret it because it was a great game. It needed to come out. And by releasing that, it paved the way for the other arcs, only one of which is worth playing. But oh, uh, <laughs> Twilight of the Spirits? Or yeah. That? Yeah, I like yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't, the West in English speaking, uh, Territories needed to see Arc Two, especially because it was fantastic. Yeah, Arc Two is a really yeah. great game. And mm-hmm. each of those uh, pieces of that collection are, abidu- are available on PSN, correct? Yes. Okay, great. Yes, they are available now. Thank That's you. happier news. Yes, yes. <laughs> and speaking of happier news, would you like to talk about your Kickstarter? I don't think uh, you might have mentioned it earlier, but um, 
each. You can go ahead and plug it if you want. I mean, uh, yeah, we've got a Kickstarter up on uh, on Kickstarter.com uh, for Classic Heroes 2 for the PSP, and also is playable on the Vita. Um, that is basically a wizardry-style dungeon crawler with anime characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're we the Kickstarter is a dual mode Kickstarter where we're trying to uh, raise enough money to sell uh, physical deluxe packs about. 6,000, 7,000 deluxe packs and people get the 59 or $100 level uh, it'll fund. But we're also trying to get enough raise to do a deluxe working design style localization with uh, voice dubbing and uh, song translation and menu interface improvements, that kind of stuff. Great. Cool. So if you want to hear more about that, we actually talk about the game in detail on last week's Games, Damn it. Uh, but for now, I'm going to wrap things up. Did you guys have anything else to add? No, not really. Opportune time. Okay. Tent. We are all very happy. We spent a long time talking to Victor Island. Thank you very, very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. And sorry about the <laughs> the brief interruption there, yeah. but uh, we'll find out what that was later. But uh, as for me, I will see you guys in two weeks with a new episode of the Retronauts, and have a good week. <laughs>